Good morning. I'm going to invite my friend Dimitri up here. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. We just uh, thought we'd try to get as many people up here this morning as possible. So, um, We're in Matthew 8 this morning. And while you turn there, uh, I want to say one more thing about the Gilead House uh, spring clean that we did uh, a little over a week ago. Um, I think it was scheduled from 9 to noon. And around 12.30, there was a handful of us still there cleaning up and picking up. And Phoebe, the house manager, came out and she said to us, oh my goodness, I can't believe you guys are still here picking up. I'm usually the one cleaning up the mess after everyone leaves after a day like this. But you guys stayed and you're picking up. Thank you. Uh, so super proud of you all, super proud of our community. Uh, clean up our messes uh, and to, uh, to clean and, and help the Gilead House. I'm going to say a word of prayer and we'll jump into Matthew 8. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for your presence. God, make us abundantly aware of your presence this morning. Fill us with your spirit. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, we've been traveling through uh, Matthew 8 uh, for Lent, and we're going to jump into Matthew 9 next week. Um, and we've looked at, Jesus just gave the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. He heals a leper. He speaks to a Roman centurion and grants his request to heal his servant. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, and then he has a couple of people who want to follow him. And we talked about that last week. And I'm going to pick up right there. So verse 18, Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Okay, so Dimitri knows I'm going to interrupt him a lot this morning. Um, so here's the thing. He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Now, if you're one of Jesus' disciples, you, you've got to be wondering, what have I gotten myself into here? Because uh, Jesus is pushing the boundaries. Uh, a leper comes to him. A leper in uh, Jewish law is unclean. Jesus touches him, reaches out and touches the leper and says, be clean. And, and so Jesus crosses these purity boundaries. Uh, then a Roman centurion, an enemy from Rome who is residing in their land, comes to Jesus and asks a request and Jesus grants it. This would have just blown the disciples away that Jesus would interact with a Roman centurion, let alone grant his request. Uh, and so Jesus is pushing the boundaries here. Now he says, let's go to the other side of the lake. Here's the problem with going to the other side of the lake. The other side of the lake is Gentile territory. They're leaving Jewish territory in the Galilee and going to the other side, where is Gentile territory, people who are considered by the Jews unclean. And so Jesus is wanting to go to the other side. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Okay, so Jesus is helping these people understand you better count the cost 
of following me. This isn't just, hey, I want to follow the popular rabbi in town right now, and when he's not so popular anymore, I'll go down the street and follow the next popular rabbi, and when he's not so popular, I'll follow the next popular rabbi. Jesus is saying, no, no, this is, this is you're all in or you're out. There, there's not just a partial kind of, well, Jesus looks cool right now, so I'll follow him. Jesus is saying, this is all in or all out. Make your choice. I'm not like a lot of the rich rabbis who have a nice cushy house. I don't have a place to lay my head. So consider that when you follow me. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Okay. His disciples what? Followed him right after he said this stuff. So there's something within them that says, we do want to follow this guy. We want to be a part of what he's doing, even though he is shocking us by reaching out to a leper. He's shocking us by reaching out to a Roman centurion. He's shocking us with his teachings and, and the things he's doing. We do want to follow this rabbi. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Okay. Uh, I, f I find this so funny. Not just that Jesus is sleeping, but that it falls right on the heels of him saying, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, it, it's like, it, if it wasn't proof enough that I don't have adequate places to sleep, I'm so tired, I'm sleeping on the bottom of a boat in the midst of a storm. Uh, so just in case that didn't get through your head quite clear that the Son of Man doesn't have a good place to lay his head, here it is, I'm laying on the bottom of a boat, sleeping, and this furious storm kicks up. Now, a lot of the disciples were experienced fishermen, so they knew the sea, but they also feared the sea. There is a, there's a deep fear in the Jewish consciousness of the sea. The sea in the Jewish consciousness equals chaos. And, and so when, often when the sea is talked about, when the waters are talked about, they're talked about in a fearful manner. Notice this Psalm of David. Well, not up there. I'll read it here. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me, from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. And so David is using imagery of water to talk about the chaos around him and what he's going through. We see this imagery all through the scriptures from the beginning of creation, the spirit hovering over the waters, the spirit hovering over the chaos, and God speaks the word and brings order out of chaos. God speaks the word and brings beauty, brings shalom, brings delight out of the chaos. We, we see the chaotic waters of the flood that end up being like a new creation and God starting over. We, we see the people of Israel, God with an outstretched arm rescues them from slavery in Egypt and brings them through the chaotic waters of the Sea of Reeds and safely to dry ground and, and to a new life, to freedom. Uh, ultimately, we see God come in the flesh in Jesus. Jesus enters 
the world of our chaos to bring about a new creation. We see Jesus enter the waters of the Jordan River to be baptized and the Spirit come upon him and Jesus walks out of those waters to preach the good news of a whole new creation, that it is possible to live a life that doesn't feel like constant turmoil, constant chaos, that there is one who brings inner peace and healing and delight and shalom. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Okay, so the disciples are completely freaked out. And their immediate response is to call on Jesus. Lord, save us. Which makes Jesus' response to them really interesting. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Okay, so he says, you of little faith. Those four English words, you of little faith, in the Greek New Testament, it's just one word. It is, you're going to love this word, oligopistoi. Let's say that together. Oligopistoi. Yeah, it's oligo, little, Histoi, faith. It's all put together in one word. Uh, it literally means little faiths. Jesus is calling them a name. He's calling them little faiths. So that, that's all it says in the Greek. Jesus wakes up and he looks at them and says, Oligopistoi, you little faiths. Uh, this word is used five times in the New Testament. All five times, it comes out of the mouth of Jesus to his disciples. This is so interesting to me because they have followed him after he says, I have no place to lay my head. They're still following him. They're in the midst of a storm and they cry out, Lord, save us. And Jesus is just like, little face. Why are you afraid? It seems like the lack of faith is connected to their fear. Uh, that there is a sense in which uh, their fear is so great and their faith so lacking that Jesus is just a little faith. There, there also might be a sense in which G- Jesus has just woken up. So he's a little grumpy. Uh, he's like, I like a pistol. And then he rebukes the wind and the waves. And they're immediately calm. Uh, there's something about this that brings me great hope. This is the same Jesus who said, all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. While it might feel demeaning to be called little faiths, little faith is all you need. It's all they needed. Because Jesus calmed the storm. Uh, I want to encourage you this morning. If all you have, if all you're clinging to is just a seed of faith, just a little bit of faith, in Jesus' eyes, that's all you need. He calls us to more and more faith, greater and greater faith, but this morning, if all you have is just a little bit of faith. It's all 
you need. Jesus is present to you in the midst of your violent storm. And he can bring you peace and calm within. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Okay, so Jesus has shown that he has authority in his teaching. Uh, after he taught the Sermon on the Mount, the, the text says the people were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. He's shown he has authority in his teaching. He's shown he has authority to heal. And now he shows he has authority even over the weather system. And he brings calm in the midst of the storm. When he arrived at the other side, in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Okay, so we've just seen a physical violent storm. Now I want you to imagine that storm on the Sea of Galilee. Imagine the waves just washing over the boat. Imagine the fear the disciples feel. Imagine how massive this storm is. Now take that massive, violent storm and put it within a person. That's what they're now facing. Imagine yourself as the disciples. You've just gone through this storm. You're on the other side. You're in Gentile territory. You're wondering, what kind of man is this? And now he's brought us to Gentile territory. And the first, we've just faced a physical storm, and now we're facing a person who has a storm going on inside of him. Uh, what is going on here? Uh, their question, what kind of man is this is about to be answered from the most unlikely of sources. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Okay. Uh, no human being yet in Matthew's gospel has referred to Jesus as son of God. Now you have two men possessed by demons who call Jesus Son of God. Uh, is this surprising to anyone else? Uh, th this is absolutely remarkable that these two men would see Jesus and identify him as the Son of God. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. Okay. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? We're... <laughs> We're facing two demon-possessed men, uh, two men who are suffering greatly from mental turmoil. Uh, they are mentally ill, and, and there's these outside forces at work within them. And, and, and then we're, uh, oh, and off in the distance, there was a herd of pigs. Like, why? Why? Uh, okay, again. For Jews, pigs, just about the most unclean thing they can imagine. Uh, they are an unclean animal. To uh, be around pigs would make you unclean. These men have just come out of the tombs. Also, being around the dead makes you unclean. So we have 
uncleanliness in the Jewish mindset all over the place. Gentile territory, tombs, pigs. For, for uh, uh, Jews, pigs, demons, about the same thing. They're, they're unclean. They don't like either one. And here we are in this scene, and we, there's a herd of pigs off in the distance. The demons beg Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Okay. Uh, This story just gets more and more unusual. Uh, The demons ask Jesus if he'll drive them into the pigs. And Jesus says, okay. He he grants the demons their wish uh, and drives these demons into the pigs. And the pigs immediately rush off a steep cliff into the water and drown. Uh, Matthew is showing us this, this progressive authority that Jesus carries. Authority in teaching, authority over disease, uh, uh, authority over the winds and the waves, authority over the spiritual order of things, even over demonic powers. Uh, and Jesus grants them this wish, whether they knew that the pigs would go in, uh, to the water, whether they purposely caused the pigs to go in the water, who knows? The pigs go in the water and they drown, and, and it causes a disturbance in the town. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave the region. Okay. So, uh, there's all kinds of debate in the scholarly world on this text around why the townspeople wanted Jesus to leave. Uh, some believe they wanted him to leave because uh, he hurt their economy. 300 head of pig, that's a lot of money. And they just all went in the lake and drowned. Thanks a lot, Jesus. We don't know who you are, but would you please leave? Because you're not helping our economy. Uh, Jesus isn't good for the economy, apparently. Uh, One scholar said this. I love this. He says, all down the ages, the world has been refusing Jesus because it prefers the pigs. Uh, I, I wonder for us this morning, Uh, where we feel Jesus isn't helpful in our life. Well, I like this about Jesus, and this about Jesus, and this about Jesus, but when he says there's no place to lay his head, I don't know if I like that about Jesus. Uh, If Jesus isn't good for the economy, I don't think I like that part of Jesus. But I sure like that he died for my sins, and so I'll take that part of Jesus. Where where do we divide up Jesus? Where do we... uh, prefer the pigs to Jesus? Where where is your space of comfort and safety in the tombs rather than being willing to go through the storm and in the midst of the storm recognize I'm not in control.
I thought I was in control. I thought I had everything lined up. I had my goals set, my life was going great, and then bam, the storm came. And I realize I'm not in control. At what point, what point does it take to cry out, Lord, save us, or I'm gonna drown? Jesus, if you don't intercede in my life and somehow give me hope, I am drowning here, man. Uh, at what point do we say, no, I, I'll take all of Jesus. I'll take everything that he is because I recognize I'm not in control and I need a savior who is, who will enter in and intercede even, even if I only have a little bit of faith. Even if all I have is just a tiny grain of faith, I'm going to cry out, Lord, save me. A uh, couple of thoughts I had around us, Jesus, uh, and pigs, a herd of pigs. Uh, you know the term herd mentality? Uh, Herd mentality is one in which people are driven by outside forces rather than inner conviction. Uh, I, I wonder where this morning we're allowing outside forces to drive us. Uh, what fears are driving you? Uh, what things are driving you? What possessions? What financial decisions? Uh, what's driving, what outside forces are driving you rather than an inner conviction? A person with a herd mentality may be said to be possessed and spiritually dead, living among the tombs. Inner conviction, listening to the spirit within, characterizes the motivation of those who follow Jesus. When, when we pay attention to what God is doing in our inner being, what the spirit is saying to us, uh, what the Spirit through the community may be saying to us. Uh, that's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Affirming our identity in Christ by abandoning our comfortable hiding places and living in the power and grace of the one who came to make all things new, who came to bring to life those who are dead. Uh, this is what Jesus does. He comes to bring to life those who are dead. Uh, Jesus comes to bring about a whole new creation. When there's a storm, he comes to bring peace and shalom. When there's internal, mental, spiritual anguish, Jesus comes to speak a word, go, and replace it with peace, with his peace. Not a peace the world offers, Jesus says. A different kind of peace. An inner peace that only comes from the presence of Christ. And when we live with inner conviction rather than a herd mentality, we, we start to pay attention to what God is saying within us. Uh, I had the opportunity um, a few nights ago as I'm putting my son to bed to talk with him about what it's like to listen 
to the Spirit. I said, I said you know, son, when you feel something inside of you, where you know, you know this is the right choice and this is the wrong choice. And he immediately was like, oh, like when I blah, blah, blah? And I said, yes. <laughs> and he said, yeah. I said, that's God's spirit helping you discern right from wrong. And I pray for you, buddy, that that'll only grow within you. Uh, this is God's heart for us, that his spirit would grow within us, that we would be so aware of the outside forces that are trying to cause us to make certain decisions that are destructive, that aren't God's best for us, and instead listen to the inner conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, this is the way. Walk in it. Uh, Jesus came and showed us the way to walk. He showed us the best way to live. And ultimately, he died outside the city walls. Jesus has been reaching out to those on the outside. A leper, a Roman centurion, now two men possessed by demons in Gentile territory. Jesus is going to those on the outside, to those on the outskirts. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Uh, how many of us are willing to admit we're sick in need of a doctor? Uh, how many of us are willing to say, God, may your spirit's presence grow in me, grow that inner conviction, help me discern between the outside forces and the inner force of your spirit who's calling me into the best possible way to live. It's the same Jesus who on the night he was betrayed took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is his death that brought about the ultimate destruction of all outside forces. It is his death that brought about the destruction of death itself. And it is the power of the resurrection that gives us hope for a new life and to live out of that inner conviction of the Spirit. God, thank you. Thank you for stories like these where we see the amazing power and authority of Jesus. Uh, God, I pray that we would live with inner conviction. God, that you would cast the outside forces away and grow the inner conviction of your spirit in us to live as you created us to live. God, you have made us new creatures and you're bringing about a whole new creation. Help us, God, to live into the people you created us to be for your glory and for your kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. amen.